You're listening to Gender, A Wider Lens. I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Since 2016, my practice has been exclusively dedicated to gender-questioning teens and families impacted by gender dysphoria. I also work with gender-questioning teenagers, and I facilitate at support meetings for families and individuals who have been impacted by gender issues. We're curious about the concept of gender and how it's unfolding in the wider culture. Join us as we look at gender through a wider lens. Hello, Stella. Hi, Sasha. Good to see you. Good to see you too. So today we're going to be talking about um, ADHD. And I think if there was some kind of, uh, you know, trinity of diagnoses that I often see presented with gender dysphoric kids, it's ADHD, anxiety, and depression. These three seem to be really prevalent. I don't know if that's been your experience, but I'm really looking forward to talking today about how these ADHD traits um, overlap and impact gender dysphoria. Yeah, I see ADHD coming up all the time and ASD obviously coming up Mm -hmm. all the time. And then anxiety and depression, you sometimes wonder, are they fallout from the ADHD and ASD? I do notice as well, I see a lot of ASD and ADHD together in one. So you do find that a lot of diagnoses, diagnoses are flying around. And it's easy to kind of just go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then well, you have to sit back as a therapist and go, no, you can't. You can't just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to actually think about this because it really impacts the gender. It really impacts their their framework around gender. It really impacts their lives before they ever even understood the concept of gender. So I do think because they're prevalent, maybe people aren't seeing the underlying drivers as much as maybe we could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So should we start off today with just a little explanation of, you know, what is what is ADHD? And again, just kind of, let's say we're just taking the diagnostic criteria at face value. What What is that? So there are a couple of kind of important things um, that are present in these ADHD diagnoses. So the first one is inattention. So having a hard time, um, you know, paying attention to instructions or tasks or listening, um, getting organized, um, easily distractible. So those are kind of the attention based uh, diagnosis, di- diagnostic criteria. Yeah. And the thing about inattention is that it's, it's such a throwaway word. We all know what it's like to be inattentive. And yet with the ADHD kid, they hear about it constantly from the time they're in the school system onwards. And it's yeah. used as a kind of a, a bat to hit them with effectively. And it's, it's a constant kind of, it's like the teacher and the other students are batting them away like they're a pest or a fly because they're Mm. continuously inattentive. And that leads to an awful lot of the difficulties, I would say, that this child has. Because they're inattentive and the world is asking them to be more attentive, fundamentally you're trying to get a square peg into a a round hole from the age of five. And Mm -hmm. by the time the the kid is 10, they're deflated because it's not going in. That square peg isn't going into that round hole. Mm-hmm. And the issue too is that, you know, kids with these traits, and this is what I'll always defer to, just kids with these traits rather than ADHD kids, yeah. 
Um, they tend to focus really, really well when they're interested. There's actually an aspect of ADHD called hyperfocus. Yeah. So you can have a kid who, in the, the context of school, for example, is having a really hard time staying on task. But if they are, you know, playing their favorite game or reading a book that they like or coloring or doing some kind of activity they're interested in, they are paying such close attention almost to the exclusion of everything else going on in the environment. So it's not that there's a complete inability to focus. It's that it's, it's hard to force yourself to focus when you're really uninterested. Which we can all understand because we have a touch of that. They have it to a much deeper degree. And I would say that is used as a gotcha because the teachers yeah. or the parents or the siblings or the friends say, look, look, they're totally focused now. So that's ridiculous. They could have done it earlier on, but they just chose not to. And it's like, yeah, that's the complexity of ADHD that we don't. That's the thing I think we don't give enough credence to. We just think, oh, yeah, just another label. Yeah. Mm hmm. Well, there's also the um, impulsivity and hyperactivity. So this will show up as, you know, excessive motor movements, not being able to sit still, um, having a hard time kind of playing quietly, talking a lot, you know, blurting out, saying things out of turn, interrupting. So that's, that's the, you know, hyperactivity and impulsivity aspect. And we'll talk a bit later about how this shows up a little bit differently sometimes in girls versus boys. But um, what are your thoughts on that piece? Yeah, again, that's where they, they feel like an annoying pest. It's funny. I have this funny scenario in my life where a lot of my friends, more than you would ever think uh, have been diagnosed with ADHD. So I'm attracted to the ADHD <laughs> personality. I've noticed this consistently. I'm talking about consistently across different cities that I've lived in and stuff. I end up with lots of, and they say, oh yeah, I've been diagnosed. And I'm like, oh yeah, well you would. I'm friends with you. So you, you probably are ADHD. I love their brain. I love that interrupting. I love that impulsivity. There's an excitingness being around an ADHD, somebody with ADHD. And, um, but they, uh, and I liked them as children as well. Um, and I, I can see why I do. Uh, you know, they're often very funny. They're often very mm -hmm. witty. That interruption is often driven with, they've got this extraordinary thought they have to stick into the conversation and nobody will stop them. And I love that. I'm like, yeah, bring it on. Because <laughs> I'm an interrupter, as anybody who listens to this podcast will have realized. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like these traits. But yeah. society is asking for something else. Mm -hmm. I just finished watching, I kind of watched really quickly through this um, TEDx talk where a young man was describing his theory that ADHD actually was an adaptive kind of personality trait in hunter-gatherer societies because you have to be able to, you know, quickly change your attention to something rustling in the bushes or finding the right piece of fruit. And, you know, he was talking about how in our modern societies, perhaps these traits are not so adaptive, but being able to quickly pay attention oh, yeah. to new things and have new creative ideas, it's actually a really important um, and, and valuable trait. So I'm very much with you on that it's worthwhile to examine these traits and also um, they can be really adaptive in different contexts. 
I think for lots of young people, especially because ADHD tends to get first diagnosed when a child is having a hard time meeting the expectations in school, right? When you need kids to sit in a circle and you need them to be still for, you know, five or six hours a day throughout classes. And so kids who are having a hard time with those expectations will really stand out. And um, I think it's it's kind of difficult to say that this is a disorder when really it, what what in our genetic makeup says we have to be sitting still 10 hours a day to pay attention to a lecture. I mean, those are all relatively modern impositions on the human when you think of the big span of time. So I just, I'm a little bit, you know, as we always are with diagnostic labels, I take it with a grain of salt and... I, I think if there was any diagnostic ca- category that I could relate to, it's probably ADHD. Really. Oh, really? You being yeah. a friend of mine, <laughs> you should probably get <laughs> <Exactly>. tested. <laughs> but um, what you said there is so important because you'd wonder, in, in 100 years, will we have different types of schools? And will there be the more active school? that will be kind of offered as like might there be quieter schools for maybe more ASD, you know, less sensory, less, you know, the way they've, they've changed. Uh, I don't know they ha- if they have in America, but they've offered and they've talked about changing, you know, the busyness of the school walls yeah. with all the numbers and the primary colors and stuff like that. And there's an argument to say like, you know, a child with the ASD won't enjoy the busyness of that and would prefer a, a more a calmer kind of colours and camera environment and not all those posters. And might yeah. there be another kind of, might that be one type of, of, of you know, scholastic experience? And might some other uh, children end up in 100 years with a much more active, you know, sensory, texture, texture, texture kind of driven, kind of bouncing the balls to, to, to count and things like that? And might that really suit them? And might they look back, it kind of, at this and say it's like putting the children up the chimneys one Mm -hmm. type of kid really suited that and there's a lot of kids who do not suit this type of school who really do not suit it and oh my god the kids with the ADHD traits do not suit this system yeah yeah well this is kind of where the kind of conflict will start to emerge between child's personality traits and the expectations at school. And this can cause um, a lot of struggles with self-esteem. Yeah. You know, one of the things that often gets missed, uh, I think it's become more, you know, spoken about recently, but you know, we, we tend to focus on the organization skills and all of the kind of compensatory mechanisms to try and counteract the ADHD personality. But what ends up happening in the interim is that a child has been, you know, told so many times that they're not meeting expectations, they're not able to kind of fit in the standard, that they might, you know, get really down on themselves and feel very bad, feel, you know, feel like they're stupid or feel like they're not good enough, even though a lot of times these kids are absolutely brilliant and they have all of the intellectual capabilities, but because of those types of school expectations, they really feel behind and they don't feel great about themselves. And I think this can start to overlap with what we understand about, um, 
gender dysphoria, which we'll, we'll get into that. But I'll just kind of pause there to get your thoughts. It's like death by a thousand cuts because they're getting constant little niggly criticisms like sit down, sit down. No, I won't answer you until you sit down. Put your hand up. Don't interrupt. So they're getting that all day. Then they go out into the lunch time and uh, they grab the ball or they do something impulsive and they're told stop being so annoying. And mm. then they're told stop, stop. You're wrecking it. And the, the, it's just, the, 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 and then the, they're constantly this ball of enthusiasm charging mm. in and getting battered down, charging in again and getting battered down. And then you can see that they kind of have this feeling of, oh, I've done it again. Oh, oh, it's just they live within disapproval in a yeah. small way, but it's in a relentless manner. And I, I do think self-esteem is probably the most, um, the most, fragile kind of aspect of, of the child with the ADHD traits because the, it's shot. It feels shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think you're, you're kind of describing the like hyperactive kind of aspects of the, the traits. And for, for kids who don't have that hyperactivity, but perhaps they're really falling behind in their school assignments or, you know, I've seen kids who just do not know how to complete an assignment. They can get started, they can spark a new idea, but they're so disorganized and their ideas are all over the place and it's just so hard to complete assignments. And that really takes a hit on your self-esteem too, because you feel you know, incapable of meeting the expectations, even though you're full of ideas and you are bright. Yeah. So the system is working for some kids and there's a certain type of kid and we know that child and they, they, they really thrive within the system. They go off, they get the qualifications in college and they do well in life. Then there's a whole other type of kids, whether it's ASD or ADHD or different types who are not thriving within the system. And I would argue that we're losing too many you know, obviously my own children have dyslexia, severe dyslexia. So we're losing too many with, with our kind of homogenous one, one size fits all system. And I think personally, I think the children with the ADHD traits, their self-esteem gets battered and it, it, it's a lifetime process to kind of, to, to, to heal that. Mm-hmm. You know, this is making me also really curious because as we've talked about, there's a historical context for these diagnostic labels too. And um, I wonder, you know, before we had such a high degree of assessment and diagnosis of ADHD, do you think that these ADHD traits existed and just weren't picked up on and the kids were struggling in school and it wasn't identified as to why? Or do you think that there's something else going on I don't know I don't know and I'm very interested Gabor Mate writes about it very eloquently he he had AD or has ADHD and he talks a lot about the wound that he had and and how it it stems from a wound and this is you know the body keeping the score and things like that Mm -hmm. and then you look at things like um uh, let's say dyslexia, for example, and before maybe the 1600s, there wasn't a standardized uh, spelling. And so like Shakespeare spelt his name in seven different ways. And so, you know, that so you think, well, it didn't as my husband, who's dyslexic, constantly says, this is just a new condition. That frankly, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's completely immaterial. There's lots of different ways to spell various words. And I think if 
I look at the classic ADHD kid. That would be the very active kid on the farm. That would be the very active kid out and about, you know, selling things at the market. There's a lot of things that those kids would be doing very happily, very busily. And yeah, sitting with a book quietly, putting their finger over their mouth and putting their hand up before they speak was never going to be what they were going to do. Would they have been spotted? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get really curious about that. Another thing that comes to my mind is that um, there's some research to show that when we have a very sedentary lifestyle and we're sitting a lot, our body will compensate for that by doing a lot of very micro movements. So uh, shaking your leg or kind of fidgeting with your hands. So it's interesting because it means the body wants to create some sort of equilibrium where it's expending enough physical energy every day. So I get really curious about whether or not, for example, you know, schools that don't have some sort of physical education program where kids are not like out at recess running around or moving, do they see more of these like um, inattentive hyperactivity traits? Like, could the environment that we are in also exacerbate some of these traits? And I would guess that is part of it. Yeah, I would say so. I would say it's very likely. And I would say that we have a lot more that we could add uh, to their lives. And so they wouldn't yeah. be battened down and they would they would be worked with but I'm sure people are rolling their eyes when they're listening to us saying, oh, you can't do that. And you can't, you know, you've just got to go with the system. And this, this is the system. And that's all we've got to do about it. But I don't. I'm not convinced. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about how ADHD might show up differently in boys and girls. And before I even get into this, I mean, I'll just start with the disclaimer that there are lots of girls with the hyperactivity aspects of this Um trait, right? So it's not to say that it's uh, mutually exclusive where boys are always hyper and girls are never hyper. That's certainly not the case. Uh, But for some, some ADHD girls, this will show up as things like, you know, sitting in the classroom and daydreaming about something else other than paying attention to what the teacher's talking about or um, feeling, you know, anxious or sad. So we talked earlier about the anxiety and ADHD and depression, like sometimes those will go together. Sometimes because ADHD kids have a hard time sometimes paying attention to details or tracking details, they might come off as kind of silly or not knowing what's going on or making some kind of comment out of the blue that doesn't really go with the conversation. So not being able to follow in a conversation or I I find myself doing that all the time. Uh, I do think that for the girls um, to be called immature as a boy, it's kind of almost funny and boisterous and lively to be called immature as a girl feels like social death. And it feels really uh, a terrible thing. And they, they, they wear it heavily they Mm. are immature and it's not cool and they don't get social status the 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 funny clown that the boy can be the girl doesn't quite get away with as easily and just is is dissed by the other kids I think a little bit more easily and feels feels the worst for it I think um I, I really think that 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 kind of they don't do well in school and then they're also not doing very well socially. Put that together and you can see why by the time they're 10 or 12 or something, that they have low self-esteem because they feel the world has viewed me, judged me and thinks I'm not quite right. 
I'm just a little bit off. I'm a little bit not. And um, I think that's really hard for them. You know, friendships become very, very important. And if you're struggling in that way, it would be very difficult. I often wonder about the shyness because I often wonder that they're often, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I see a natural exuberance. And I see a natural exuberance that's kind of knocked out of them by the system and by life. And so it might end up being shy. But I often wonder, would it have been in other contexts? Yeah. Or is it, does it become almost like something to hide mm-hmm. or a, a, a kind of a, yeah. they bring themselves back because they've been put back so often? Yeah, I often will kind of hear kids talk about trying to rein themselves in, you know, because there's so much, you know, if a, if a kid with these traits feels comfortable, I think they have that exuberance and they're full of ideas and they're talking about this and they're talking about that over there. But if they're really self-conscious or they have maybe been criticized or lost friendships over that personality trait, they're going to tone that down a lot. So it can really lead to kind of a withdrawal from social situations. And a slightly mangling of your personality because being reined in, you're, 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 miss, you're, miss, you're warping your own self. You're pulling yourself yeah. back. It's a horrible feeling. If you ever be somewhere, I have plenty of times that I'm trying to push myself to be just slightly different all the time. That's really exhausting yeah. and um, deflating and kind of derailing on lots of ways and the 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 they have social struggles i think the boys and the girls do i think often the boys are often known to be more boisterous and and charging around and the girls are more maybe um inattentive and kind of aloof a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. and a little bit all over the place is what i was thinking so the kids get cool at whatever age they get cool, generally from tw- 10 onwards, they're trying to get cool. And they 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 start to disapprove, I would argue, with, with they start to disapprove of the funny, gorgeous quirks of the child with uh, with ADHD traits. And they kind of go, yeah, not cool, you know, just, just stop, you know. And the child falls off a cliff, having just been feeling like they were only holding onto that cliff with their fingernails anyway. And I, I feel that that's where they really lose their their self-approval. And when you lose yourself, when you lose your self-approval, so much goes with that. And there's yeah. the weird, isn't there, the, 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 the weird kind of extra trait of perfectionism to deal with on top of, on top of that, that seems to be a, a part of the traits. And I think it can really... If you're a perfectionist and you're not doing well in school, you don't want to do it at all. You, you don't yeah. want to do it because you want, you want to be perfect. If you're a perfectionist and you're not doing well socially, you don't, you're, you're out. Perfectionists just don't yeah. like failing. And it's such a cruel condition that it gives, or is should I reword that? Society is very behaving very cruelly towards these traits. Right. So if these kids figure out how to um, really appreciate and own their traits, they're wonderful and they, they can do very well. But I want to talk a little bit now about how, how does all of this overlap with gender? Because we've spent a lot of time talking about these traits. And one of the big things that comes to my mind is that um, kids with these traits, because they have struggled in some ways with organization tend to be kids who 
it, in my experience, kids I've worked with, they are list makers. They use calendars. They try to be organized because they need that as an antidote. And I think sometimes that can lead to personality trait of being um, really kind of goal oriented, like getting a little obsessed with goals almost. And I'm thinking about one detransitioner who was talking on YouTube about how her personality uh, impacted her desire to transition. And she was talking about how once she gets her mind on something, she becomes really obsessed with it and like needs to keep seeing her progress. You know, like if you do have um, a history of struggling to hit milestones and make those academic markers, you can easily compensate by that, uh, compensate for that by being really obsessed with like hitting certain, you know, progress bars per se. So if you have that trait, it's like, well, first I really have to get on this. Okay. What's the next step? Then I need to, you know, cut my hair. Then I need to get a binder. Then I need to call Planned Parenthood. And I think that obsession with marking your own progress and seeing the steps you've taken could be a compensation for feeling like you have a hard time getting things done. I couldn't agree more. I think this sings to them, this feeling of there's a path, there's a path and there's steps I have to take and have to take these steps. And I will haunt my parents until I get to the next step, because when I have yeah. a step and I need to take it, and if I have traits of ADHD, I need it now. And I will, I will rage, I will rage a, a campaign that you've never seen before in life to get to that next stage, because I, I, I need it in a pathological kind of way. And so that, that, feeling of the child with the ADHD, they are relentless. That hyper-focus comes in. Mm-hmm. And they really are, I think, quite relentless in their bid to get to the next point. And the feeling of, I can't breathe until I move. I, I Something has to be being done. I can't sit with it. Like a restlessness kind of. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait for another year while I reflect. I need it and I need it now. <laughs> and nothing will make this child kind of calm down and go slower because that is not the way they roll. Yeah. And the parent knows it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a definitely like a drivenness um, that parents know they can't even stand in the way of. And again, I think, you know, these are traits that will serve a young person very, very well ultimately. But, you know, that's why I think the impulsivity of these traits leads people down all kinds of pathways that are maybe not the most well thought out, maybe not the most kind of long-term planning involved. As well as that, there's the kind of that, um, I suppose, nitpicking of, you know, picking of themselves, picking of their skin, picking of their... And the, the, that can lead to, I suppose, a lot of obsessional kind of behavior, a kind of a, a physical kind of picking at yourself, if you follow me, that kind of, uh, 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 uh. and that aligns a lot with somebody who feels gender dysphoric because they never leave themselves alone. They're constantly yeah. looking, whether it's chest binding or hair phobic or, you know, facial hair phobic or you know body hair and things like that it's kind of that really feeds them 
it's it's like a self-perpetuating scenario there. And it, it's it's particularly um, torturous, I would say, for a child with ADHD traits. It's, it's particularly kind of really, I can't live like this. I need to fix whatever it is I, I'm, I'm kind of focusing on with my body. When you when you do become interested in the steps, like let's say you have become kind of gender dysphoric, that's become the thing you're hyper-focused on is gender, and you're trying to figure out, well, what are the steps to remedy it? At least initially, I find like young teens will get really obsessed with trying to pass, and when you are reading like blogs and websites and Tumblr accounts on like how to make yourself pass, it requires constant self-monitoring. You know, you have to be always aware of like, how do I look? How am I standing? How's my posture? Can people see my chest? Am I hunching too much? Am I not hunching enough? What does my face look like? Does my smile make me look feminine? Or like, there's just a million ways you can constantly be self-monitoring and jumping from one thing to the next like that is kind of goes hand in hand with the, the way ADHD minds work. And what is the next stage? What is the next stage? Because I need to do it now. And I have a thought and now I need to act on it yesterday. As soon as I have that thought, I need to kind of go full on, all in, convince everybody of it. And I, I can't settle. And yeah. so that thought has been kind of driven over a cliff. Yeah. And by, by to everybody, I, I, I need it. And so... That's that's just so hard when the parent is trying to say, can we slow down, slow can down. we reflect, can we maybe not do anything until we're more sure? And they're like, I couldn't be more sure. Like, I am the epitome of sure that there right. is no more certainty right. than there is because they're driven by when they, when they, uh, I, I have a friend and um, uh, he's he's on Twitter, and I just think ADHD and Twitter. Like he has a thought, it's on Twitter. He has a thought, it's on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> he, cannot, I know. He, he feels he will die if he doesn't get this thought onto Twitter. And I'm like, oh my god, it's it's so not well. It's it's made for him. If you follow me, it's actually made for him. Now put that with the stages of process around gender. It's like I have to get to the next stage. I have to get to the next stage. I will not rest. And it makes it really, really hard. And then I was thinking as well, and I know you've mentioned it before, the daydreaming, the, you know, the daydreaming, the hours and hours and hours of daydreaming um, certain kids succumb to. I know I certainly did. I would argue that the child with the ADHD is prone to it. They're the kind of feeling oh, like the round peg in the square hole there and they're, they, they go to their mind. And they go to their kind of perfect self. This perfect self yeah. will be this, they'll be that, they'll be that. And they create a beautiful imaginary life. Yes. And it's very attractive. Yeah. And it has a new name, a new identity, a new self, and a new everything. And very heavily constructed in the mind. Mm-hmm. I think it's tough because, you know, we talk about these traits and we might be able to put them together and say, okay, yeah, kids do this, kids do this. But what is, you know, what is the function of that? And why is it happening? And these daydreams in, in clinical experiences I've had really serve as an avoidance mechanism. They're an escape mechanism. And so 
you know, I try not to be dismissive of the fantasy because it might be really valuable to think about, well, what is it that you're wishing you were like? You know, what do you wish you could do? And it's usually a fantasy about having mastered all of the things that in real life are really hard. You know, I'm dynamic and charismatic and hilarious and everyone loves me and I never say the wrong thing. And, you know, I I can pick up new skills like that without trying. So it's usually a compensation for things that are actually really hard. And the irony, of course, is when you get stuck in a fantasy, you don't have the energy and time left over to work on your real life. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of think I'll be this new person. I'll be the toast of the town. I'll be, I'll be well-liked. I'll be popular. I'll be successful. I'll be calmer in myself because I'll be happier. And so I won't have that edge that ADHD traits can give you that kind of, now that is the edge that gets people up out of bed. Like, you know, all the ideas and that edge is, is it can be stressful and anxiety inducing, but it's also your, your magic flair with, with ADHD. But they think I, I live that life that everybody else seems to live, which is calm and successful and approved of. Yeah. And, oh, I just think it's so hard. And Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, ADHD, if, if you strip it of all of its negative connotations, is, is really an experience of being like a highly enthusiastic person who's interested in a lot of different things and kind of bounces all over the place. And really, when we, I, I don't know about everybody, I can only speak for myself, but when I think about people who I have met that I've really gravitated towards. It is people like that. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when, when somebody is young and they haven't really figured out that that's actually a gift in some ways, I've, you know, heard of clients talk about wanting to be really quiet, like just having this fantasy of being this kind of mysterious, quiet yeah. person. Yeah, I know. You know? And, and, and I've heard, I, I, you know, I'm just going to go home and, maybe read a book and just, you know, sit and just maybe listen to music and, you know, just quietly. And I'm like, yeah. maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe there's yeah. other ways to work with your personality. We all want to be, especially when we're younger and we don't feel approved of, you want to be almost the opposite of, of what you maybe are. Cause you think, Oh, that quiet, silent type. Yeah. Is, is fabulous. Like that. That's everything I'm not. And, uh, they, they they gravitate towards it and it's it's so disapproving of themselves and kind of dishonoring their magic. Well, what about, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about like ADHD in boys and how that might impact their gender dysphoria. And I also want to think about, well, ADHD in girls, like if you do have this female person who's got a dynamic personality that is a little bit all over the place. Maybe it's a bit hard to fit in, you know, the trans guy persona, at least the most common one we, we see when kids first come out is like all of a sudden the girl gets kind of serious, a little bit more sullen, not smiling as much takes on this kind of masculine way of being does that feel like the antidote to the ditzy, silly, really exuberant girl that maybe she's embarrassed to be? You know, yeah. I wonder about that because a lot of parents will tell me that there's a quick personality change. I think that's so insightful. 
I think you're so right. They're kind of actually going towards like some sort of 1950s, you know, strong, silent type. Yes. Yeah. And the, the 1950s kind of ditzy housewife, I love Lucy, kind of Egypt, as they'd say in our right. country. And what is Egypt? Yeah, in Egypt. Oh, like an idiot. Yeah, an idiot? Okay. yeah, well, Egypt is the word. Yeah, idiot, but Egypt. <laughs> and an Egypt is just this silly Egypt, silly person kind of. A kind of energetic, silly person, I suppose, is what an idiot is. And yeah, that that's who they feel they are. And they want to be taken seriously. And they want to be a strong and silent and kind of a serious person. And, you know, the day might come where they'd come around to that idiot personality and, and actually realize they're fun, they're, they're lively, they're really interesting. They have a lot to offer. But if you're not feeling it, if you're feeling, no, I've not a lot to offer and the world wants to be different. And also, I think there's a strong correlation with ADHD and like I say, Twitter, but social media in general is made for their likes and the shares and the, the dopamine and all of social media is made for the ADHD person is a, is a, what's the word, a a fly to the flame like you know a yeah. moth to the flame to that like all sorts of technology is really really attractive and addictive to the ADHD the kid with the ADHD traits and so they go online they're feeling a little bit at odds with the world they've had an awful lot of disapproval by the time they're 10 or 12 they go online and they're just pressing buttons and finding tribes and finding approval and getting likes and shares and going into imaginary worlds that is intricate and massive amount of steps and categories. It's made for their brain. The entire setup is like, oh, yeah, I can deal with yeah. this. And I just need to get on the pathway and let me on the pathway. And there's an actual specific pathway I need to follow. And then yeah. I will be it, which is made for the, the brain that has ADHD is like, give me the pathway, give me the steps. And then I tunnel through them. Bang, 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 bang. And it's, it's so it's so satisfying for them. Mm. And this really overlaps, of course, with ASD, with autism, which we've talked about before. Um, I think a lot of a lot of different types of personality, let's say traits or clusters feel comforted by concrete steps, you know, and I think with the ADHD kind of cluster, we're talking about stimulation, you know, and the internet is such a stimulating place. You can get on Tumblr and Reddit and you can just scroll through and literally every couple of microseconds, you're looking at something new. I know. It's just, uh, it's like an overwhelming, like a shower of stimulation. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not fair because I I do think parents with kids with certain traits have it a lot harder. And the other parent will say, I just turn it off. I just give them an hour and I just turn it off. It's like, yeah, come over and have this kid and try and turn it off because you will take it out of their dead claw. Like (laughs) they will not give it up. So there's certain uh, there's certain personalities that are driven to stay online and press those buttons and they are driven in a much deeper way than other children. And so right now there's a whole thing going on. A whole world is going on with gender and you can see why they they fall into it. And it, 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 it does tick an awful lot of boxes. Yeah, it does. Um, what about with boys? How do you think 
ADHD traits in boys might show up when it comes to gender dysphoria? That's where I feel a little bit less sure of myself. I kind of think they definitely have the feeling of the insecurity and there is, I'm not good enough. And I think they have the physicality of give me the buttons, pressing the buttons in a very, they're very kind of physically uh, driven to be online and to be kind of uh, relentlessly kind of following different things online. Other than that, and uh, you, you know what I mean, the, the the other kind of, let's say, the impulsivity, the hyper-focus, the obsessive picking. But that that's where I see it. Where, where do you see it? I'm, I'm, I would say you probably got more insight than I do on this. You know, it's all conjecture, you know. Um, I don't I don't really know for sure if if evidence would back me up. I think one thing I've heard you talk about actually is that when it comes to boys, they seem so much more driven towards the medical intervention piece, sometimes even before the social transition. Whereas it seems like young females with gender dysphoria, ROGD, are much more interested in socially transitioning first, but the boys tend to be really interested in the medical piece. So I wonder if that has something to do with like the physical manifestation versus like girls are really trying to socially fit in in a certain way, whereas maybe boys are kind of more focused on the the physical changes. I, I'm not really sure where that goes, but that comes to my mind. Um, and I also wonder if like, you know, because ADHD people are so quick to quickly adopt a new idea, there's less of that kind of hindrance to say, yeah, I could be a girl. Yeah, I could totally be a girl. I'm going to be a girl. Yeah, I'm going to be a girl. You know, like it's not, it's not like there's no, there's not a lot of caution. I mean, there certainly can be right. But I think sometimes there, there isn't a lot of caution about switching the identity. I would say there's a charge from a recklessness that they they almost enjoy the new ideas. And there's so many new ideas. And, you know, there is identity theory and there's queer theory and there's a lot of kind of social justice, critical social justice, lots of new theories. And that's just that's lighting like a carnival in their brain. Yeah, feed me. Wow, great. You know yeah. what I mean? And the, all the concepts of all the identities and all that. Wow, whoa, whoa, whoa. And you know what I mean? This is so tailor-made for certain brains to just glory in them, glory in them. And so I, I think, yeah, without a doubt that happens. I would say with both girls and boys with ADHD traits, I, I wouldn't see that massively uh, divided with 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 biological sex, I think they just glory in the ideas, and that's where you know I don't know. There's loads of famous people with ADHD, but Richard Branson jumps to mind. I don't know. Do you know him? He's kind of the founder of Virgin Airlines. He's probably the oh, most yes, famous. Yes, 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 yes. Poster of boy for success on ADHD because he has an idea every four seconds, as far as I can yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. And it's all big, new, expansive, crazy ideas, and he he ends up in the craziest place. Now he's older now, but he was ferociously famous for crazy ideas and very ADHD. And he was diagnosed with ADHD. His mother basically really nurtured him and allowed him. He left school at 16 with an idea to start a record company or something. And he did. (laughs) So like, it's, it's amazing. A lot, I think of a lot, a lot of famous people have been put into, you know, swimming and gyms, Simone Biles and Michael Phelps and things like that. 
And there they had ADHD and it was worked with. Swimming and gyms. Just. So, yeah, different sports have definitely kind of attracted um, different children because the, ch- the parents saw that kid has an excess of energy and needs goals and needs competitions. And, you know, and that suits certain children with ADHD traits, stages, process, you know, going up grades and loads of energy and go, go, go. And let's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the kind of the glitz of that. They're, they're like the Las Vegas of the person. <laughs> I love that. A Las Vegas of persons. <laughs> well, that's also, you know, bringing to my mind the fact that transition is always, well, to a certain point, bringing about changes. And if you're stimulated by new ideas, new experiences, changes, you might be really revved up by like, oh, today I have facial hair. What's going to happen next week? You know, like the process of transformation is probably something that's very appealing. And though I, I don't have a diagnosis, I mean, I remember like, I've always been weary of diagnosis, but when I read the ADHD stuff, I go, oh my God, like that's, it's so me. I, I have every kind of like physical activity, hobby, paraphernalia you can find. I have like rock climbing gear. I have like all kinds of workout equipment. I've tried every kind of like physical activity on the planet. Um, and that just the physical changes I've done, like everything you can possibly do in that physical realm. It's really something. Um, but I, I can, I can understand how, the, the process of transforming your body is really appealing if you're constantly in, interested in something new. Like the, the old and the boring and the routine is actually important for people with this trait, but it can be really suffocating. So if you're like, if you're like that, I can imagine how constantly waiting for the changes of testosterone or estrogen or the next body modification, I can completely relate to that being... Uh, exciting and uh, alluring and addictive almost because you're always yes. going to the next stop the next stop the next stop with the knowledge that you always are in your brain making progress yeah and and that's just so appealing and almost torturously appealing to to the yeah. brain that is always seeking stages and stops and progress and because it's it's yeah. like you can't get off the ride, you know. If you need that movement, if you constantly need that stimulation, it's hard to get off of that ride. I do think that like there are ways to work with with the the, the person with ADHD traits. I think they're glorious traits. They're great traits. And you know, the more these children could be into comedy and drama and kind of exciting, kind of elaborate, kind of imaginative play and things like that. And I think they get into that kind of LARPing. Is that what it's called? The kind of... (laughs) (laughs) Like with the swords? Yeah, yeah. Things like that. I I, I think there's ways to kind of channel it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that they feel like they're going places and they're getting stages and they're going through. They need a busy life. And asking them to kind of sit down and study more and just calm down. Mm. It's it's not fair and not appropriate. And 
uh, you know, I say that with the utmost sympathy to, to the parents who are, who are just saying, but they need their qualifications. That's what I hear from them. They need to calm down. If they're going to get anywhere, they need to be able like there's actually loads of jobs where you can be as lively, like be a wedding planner. Be a, you know, there's yeah. loads of different jobs yeah. that do not need that kind of quietness. But we've we've sold ourselves into a system that we pretend that that's the only way to get ahead. It's the only way to get qualifications, perhaps, but it's not the only way to get ahead. And I, I, I strongly would advise that if you have a child who's in difficulty and if they have ADHD, can we kind of rearrange the whole thing and see yeah. what, 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 how, do, how can we get them more challenged by the world in a positive way rather than in, in, in such a negative trying to hassle them into something that they find boring? I, I often will discuss with families the idea of sending your child on some kind of interesting like educational travel program or just something to stimulate them and, you know, take them out of the kind of routine of rumination that they're currently stuck on. And I think this is true way beyond gender dysphoria. I mean, if you have a young person who is stuck in a rut, it's really great to find a new interesting way to just kind of shake them out of that routine. And um, I really appreciate what you're saying about parents who maybe have a kid with these traits, being able to think outside of the box and being able to look to other adults who are successful, who have carved out their own path that doesn't necessarily follow the exact trajectory of, you know, academic success that, that we tend to think about. Yeah, look for the role models. Like whether your child is ASD or ADHD or dyslexia or whatever, I think look for the role models that suits your child and see if you can work with it because I think it's very important. I've heard Lisa Marciano talk about the concept of semester at sea. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I have. And I have. obviously, in t- well, I hadn't heard of it until she said it. Obviously, in times of COVID, uh, everything is different. But I think things like that, could be very interesting where they're learning kind of how to, you know, master the elements. Yeah, lovely, great. Yeah. You know what I mean? Give ADHD kids, give them a challenge, give them kind of active challenges. Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, a Wider Lens. This podcast is partially sponsored by Rhyme, Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics. RIME is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the long-term care for gender-variant individuals. Visit RethinkIME.org to learn more. If you found value in our show, please review us on iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Just go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash widerlenspod. Our discussions are for educational purposes only and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services. 